Please open your Bibles, if you would, to the Gospel of John. We're going to be looking at the final section of what's a very significant chapter in this Gospel, the third chapter, specifically at verses 31 through 36. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. John chapter 3, beginning at verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth, and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. Lord, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes to the truth of your word. That as we study it, we would not only know more, but that we would be changed. That we would be made more and more into the likeness of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would be sanctified. We would be made into the image of Christ, fit for heaven. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. What does it take for you to make a decision about something? What, for example, persuades you to buy a certain kind of car? Or to go to this college, but not that college? To decide which sport you will take up and put your time and energy into. To decide which of the many, many musical instruments you could play that are going to be what you put your time into. Or maybe even something as simple as this. What helps you to decide to eat a new food? Nearly always, it is the testimony of another person. Someone who knows the issue well. We hear them, we hear what they have to say, and then we decide. Now, if that is true for earthly things, how much more should that be true for eternal things? How will you decide what is true? How will you decide your eternal destiny? John understands this, and he ends this great chapter as a reminder that we are to listen 
to Jesus. We listen to Jesus because Jesus is uniquely qualified to bring us the testimony that we need about eternal matters. And so, in the conclusion of this chapter, I'd like us to see two things. First, that we must listen to Jesus. And the reason we must listen to Jesus is the second thing, that we must make a decision. There is a decision that is before us that we can only properly make if we listen to Jesus. Two simple points that summarize what John has been saying to us throughout this entire third chapter. Well, the first thing that we will see is that we must listen to Jesus. Now, John the Baptist has just pointed us to Jesus. You can only look up one verse. Remember verse 30, when John declared, He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, we said at the time that this seems like an unusual statement. It's so unlike everyone around us. All of the people around us are constantly trying to find out how we can have more influence, how we can be at the top of the food chain, how we can be the one that everyone looks up to. And it can even be the case that for those of us that believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and who seek to follow him, that we can fall prey to the temptation to say to Jesus, well, metaphorically at least, Jesus, how about I take a turn with the wheel? Why don't you just stand in the background for a moment so that, so that I can get some attention, so that, so that I can show people who I am. And sometimes we can even sanctify it. We say, well, Jesus, we just want to show them what you've done in our lives. But the reality of it is, the only proper way to follow Christ is to follow John's advice. I must decrease. He must increase. Jesus is the only one that we must listen to. John the Baptist actually only points to Jesus. And that's actually all that John the Gospel writer is doing as well. They are pointing us to Jesus. And so now, John the Gospel writer is going to tell us why Jesus must increase. Why we must listen to Jesus. And the first thing that he says in verse 31 is that Jesus is from above. He actually says it twice. He says, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven, that is above, is above all. And so what John is telling us is that Jesus has a personal authority that is greater than anyone else. He is distinct from all of the prophets, from all people on earth. They all come from the earth. Even John the Baptist himself, who Jesus will later tell us that there is not a greater one born of woman than John the Baptist. He still comes from the earth and he speaks in an earthly way. Now, where we are from is foundational in Developing who we are. Even if you move around, where you're from usually sticks with you. It's important to us where we're from. If you have any doubt how important it is to us where we're from, just go ahead and turn and ask any Texan. 
They'll tell you how important it is that they're from Texas, and there's no place like Texas. Now, where we're from shapes us in a way that even cannot be fully changed or blotted out. So I am from Buffalo, New York. I've lived now in Texas, not quite, but almost 20 years. And I like barbecue. But I am a wing connoisseur. I can tell you exactly what types of wings you should eat and you should not eat. And I have taken over from my father that whenever I order wings, I give them specific instructions on how to cook the wings. Don't go by what you normally do. Don't go by what you think you heard me say. Let me repeat it again for you. This is how you cook them, and this is how you make them. Don't give me any wings in soy sauce, or lemon ginger, or pepper, or anything like that. There's only one way to eat a wing, and that's with buffalo sauce on it. That's it. And by the way, don't ever call them buffalo wings. They're not. You see, after not having lived in Buffalo for many decades, I've lived in Texas, I've lived in Mississippi, I've lived in Ohio. Where I'm from still sticks with me. And I'm sure you have a similar sort of story about a food that you like or eat or a way that you dress or the way that you keep your home or the way that you work on your outside landscaping. It's a part of where you're from. It's a part of who you are. So ice and snow don't bother me at all. When we have great ice storms, I drive to work. Hurricanes, not so much. I know people that they hear hurricanes coming and they go about their business. I wonder if we should board up the windows. You see, where we're from has a great impact on who we are. And only Jesus comes from above. If you look at, back up earlier in this chapter, this word, he comes from above. It's the exact same Greek word that we find earlier in chapter 3, verse 3. When Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This word born again, again, and from above is the exact same Greek word. You've heard me say it before. I'm going to say it a couple more times today that John loves to use these words that have double meanings, that are ambiguous. It's a way of him getting two for the price of one. He gets two thoughts in front of us with one word. And so as we hear it be said of Jesus that he comes from above, our thought is immediately drawn to life and the new birth and how that comes from above. There's a connection here that John wants us to make. Jesus is from above. But Jesus is also without limitations because he's from above. We are limited and we have needs. Jesus doesn't. Jesus is from outside our context. Jesus breaks in to us. He is unlike us, and that is good. Jesus always keeps his promises. Jesus always tells the truth. Jesus always thinks upon what is good. He is from above. He is unlike us in that sense. We are from the earth. And we have been shaped by our first father, Adam. We cannot know the things of heaven because we're not from there. 
We haven't seen it. We have limitations. The word here that John uses for earth is not the word that he normally uses for world that has a negative connotation. It, it just means land, dirt, earth. And the point here is that John is pointing to us in our limited nature, not necessarily in our sinful nature. He's saying to you, you're finite. Jesus isn't. You don't know everything. Jesus does. This is very important. Jesus does not speak in an earthly way. Jesus doesn't know earthly things. He is from heaven and is uniquely suited to speak of heavenly things. And that means that Jesus speaks firsthand. You remember from John chapter 1 that Jesus alone is with God. That Jesus is God. He doesn't have to guess. He doesn't have to speculate. Jesus knows firsthand. Have you ever had someone tell you that you should do something in a certain way, and when you ask them why, they say, well, my neighbor's cousin's brother's friend from work said, and you think, as they're talking, I'm less likely to listen to them. The further and further down the chain they get. But when someone says to you, you should do this because I have done it. I have seen the results, and this is what they are. Our ears perk up. How much more so than when we're thinking about eternal things to listen to the one who is from heaven, who knows these things firsthand, who doesn't need to tell tales, who doesn't need to be informed. Jesus is God. But Jesus is not only from above, and he knows things firsthand. He is also, John tells us, above all others. He says this twice, in case you were to miss it, at the beginning and the end of verse 31. He is above all. Now, this word above is a different word than the earlier word for above, who comes from above. Now, I know it's hard because they're both above in English, but the first Above, in verse 31, is different from the second and the third. And the second and the third, above, means at the top. Uh, at the best. Outstanding. Excelling. To be on top of. It's not just location. It has in the sense of, of, of standing. And so this is important for us because John repeats it twice. He's above all others. And even John the Baptist couldn't know what Jesus knows. John, for example, spoke of repentance. But John couldn't offer those who came to be baptized new life. Do you remember that? He never offered them a new heart, a new life, eternity. No, all he could do was point to Jesus, both figuratively and literally. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But Jesus is not just above all prophets. He certainly is above the prophets, but he is above all, all things. Now, what does that mean? How do you view Jesus? Is Jesus above all other things in your life? Does Jesus take the priority in your life? Is Jesus have priority over your children, for example? Now you may say, but pastor, my children have been given to me by God. I'm supposed to take care of my children. I want to raise them up in the ways of the Lord. 
I don't want to set them at odds against each other. But let me ask you this. Does your children's need for soccer take precedence over worship? Does your children's need for sporting events or travel leagues or school plays take precedence over the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Don't hear me saying you can't play any sort of sport. But when we put those things at a higher priority, we put them above Jesus. We make Jesus wait. We'll get back to you later, Jesus. We're putting other things, people, above Jesus. What about your greatest desires? Do your greatest desires make Jesus take a back seat? Are you willing to follow Jesus except for when it's something that you really want or really want to do? And then you either pretend for a moment that Jesus isn't around or you say to yourself, I'll get back to Jesus in a moment. What about the way we view right and wrong? You see, this is perhaps the scourge of our age. Right and wrong has been turned on its head. We have a sense of right and wrong publicly. It's not that there is nothing that is right or wrong. We do not live anymore, ladies and gentlemen, in an age of relativism. That was when I was in college and coming up. Now, no one is relative. Now they'll tell you exactly what you have to believe, how you have to believe it, how you have to express it. The only thing is it doesn't have to bear any resemblance to God and his word or to what Jesus says. It just is something that society has found is the way in which we are to express ourselves. And, and this, is, this is amazing to me. We don't have any shame anymore. I was just watching a football game yesterday. Yes, it was Saturday. It's college football. I was watching my team, Michigan Wolverines. And they were going on and on about a player who... who has really improved his game and has become a, a, quite a good player. But what the announcers were going on about was how wonderful it was that before the game, he'd won before he'd even got on the field because before the game, his son was born. But what they said was, his girlfriend gave birth to their son. And there was no hint of shame that they weren't married. No thought that it might be best for the child that they be married. It was all wondrous. Now, I am so glad that this couple chose life. I am ecstatic about that. And I hope that they will marry quickly and raise this child in, to follow the Lord. But this is the way our society is. We don't even think twice about this anymore, the way we've changed. But you see, we have to prioritize Jesus and the way he thinks. Well, the second reason that we must listen to Jesus is that Jesus speaks God's word. John makes clear from the very beginning that it's not just Jesus coming from above and not just Jesus knowing the things of heaven that are important. Rather, Jesus communicates these heavenly things to us. He says in verse 32, He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Verse 33, whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. And so what we have here is Jesus comes from above, and this gives Jesus supreme authority when he speaks. 
And the words that he speaks come from God. Jesus' purpose on earth was to bring the words of God to man. That's why we talk about Jesus being the consummate prophet. We speak about all prophets being a, a shadow of the prophet, Jesus. Moses describes this for us in Deuteronomy 18 when he tells us that there will come another prophet like unto me, Moses says. But he will be greater than me. He'll be the Messiah. Jesus is the one who reveals God's word to us. Now notice how sure the word is that Jesus brings to us. It's what Jesus has seen and heard. We don't need stories from Jesus. We don't need fables to make us feel better. We have Jesus' sure truth. Too often today, we want to run to speculation. People claim to have seen the light. We have stories all the time about people who have supposedly died for a period of time, seen the light and gone to heaven and seen what it is, and we take our cues from them. Why would we do that when we have the words of God himself before us? Jesus' testimony is sure. It comes to us firsthand and directly from God. There is no intermediary at all. Jesus is God. But this can be hard for us to accept. Because Jesus' words are often contrary to what we are used to. To what we want. That's John's point when he says, yet no one receives Jesus' testimony. Now, John doesn't mean that literally. He doesn't mean there's not one person that can be found who receives Jesus' testimony. Because after all, verse 33 follows verse 32. Whoever receives his testimony. And we've seen in the first three chapters of John, at least several people, his disciples, and others that he's come across receive the testimony of Jesus. So what John means here is that overall, in the totality, people don't listen to Jesus. And this point is made over and over again. We can just look back to verse 19 of chapter 3. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil. In John chapter 1 verse 11. He came into his own and his own people did not receive him. And then Jesus will say later in John chapter 5. I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. So this is a pattern that we will see over and over again. The one who comes from above. The one who has the most authority. The one who speaks the very things of God. Is the very one that people don't listen to. Why? Because Jesus' words contradict and challenge us. Think about one statement Jesus made. No one comes to the Father except through me. Most of the world has a problem with every single word in that sentence. You see, no one? Really? That exclusive? I thought there were many ways to God. I thought spirituality was what was important. Why are we limiting ourselves? Comes to the Father. Why are you so limiting about a Father? How do you know who God is and what His name is and what His preferred pronouns are? 
How could that possibly be the case? Only through Jesus? Why not through the prophets? Why not through Moses? Why not through David? Why not through Muhammad? Why not through Gandhi? Why not through Buddha? You see, Jesus speaks a word of truth that makes us uncomfortable. Now, you may say, well, Pastor, that applies to those people out there. Us Christians, we get Jesus, and Jesus is important. But let me ask you a question. Have you found yourself in the quiet of the night, in the depth of your heart, wishing, hoping, and even believing that what Jesus has said is not true with respect to your relatives, your friends, that they can find a way apart from Jesus? Those that you love dearly, but they have not professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, oh, I just, I have to hope and wish that there's a way. You see, it's hard for us. Well, let me give you another statement. Jesus tells you not to gather treasures on earth. Is there virtually anyone in America that believes that? I mean, we are, as a nation, if you were to describe Americans, consumer would be one of the first few words. We want what we want, and we want it to be better than the last time we had it, and we want it now, and we want it cheaper. That's what we need. How many times have you driven around and seen the bumper sticker? It's, it's a cliche by now. He who dies with the most toys wins. It's our mentality. And when Jesus gives us these harsh words that... Tell us that we're not following the right path, that we're not valuing the right things. We don't want to listen to Jesus. You see, Jesus' message is too heavenly. We would rather focus on earthly things. And this is even true of the broader church. Think of especially in the last few years, a modern movement to focus the church on earthly things to move away from salvation, away from doctrine, and to move toward social progress, social justice, even good things like improving the lot of people on earth. We focus on the earthly when Jesus speaks of the heavenly. That's where we need to be focused. Now, how we respond to Jesus says a lot about what we think about God. That's what John tells us in verse 33. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. Now, if we receive Jesus' testimony, we give our stamp of approval. That's what sets his seal to this means. It goes back to the old days when someone would seal a document, approve of something by putting wax on it and taking a signet ring, a sealed ring, and to stamp it so you would know, it wasn't just any old ring, it would, it would have your sign, your symbol, your name on it, so you would know. This is like the stamp of approval, right? You see this, you buy products based on this. It has the good housekeeping stamp of approval or the consumer reports seal of approval. You know that means that they've looked at it, they've evaluated it, and they have received it. But the opposite is also implied by verse 33. If to believe Jesus' testimony is to say that God is true, what does it mean when we do not receive Jesus' testimony? 
we're saying that God is a liar. There's no way around that. There's no fancy logic or play that you can make with that. If you don't receive the testimony of Jesus, you are saying that God is a liar. So how do you respond to Jesus? Because there are only two choices, to receive or to reject. Because Jesus is still speaking today. Look at verse 32. He bears witness. That's a present tense verb. It doesn't say Jesus bore witness or did bear witness. It's saying Jesus speaks now. How does he speak now to you? In his word. In the Bible. Jesus speaks today to us. You are hearing Jesus' testimony right now. Will you believe God? Or will you call him a liar? There's a third reason that Jesus is the one we must listen to. And that is that God has given all things to Jesus. We see this in verses 34 and 35. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. If we had any doubt about the connection between God and Jesus, John puts that to rest right here. The words that Jesus speaks, that's the more direct way of saying utters. Utters is a little more poetic. The words that Jesus speaks are God's very words. And Jesus speaks those words because God has given him the spirit without measure. And this, again, distinguishes Jesus from the prophets who only knew in part, who only were given power in part, who only had the Spirit in part. We see this over and over again in the New Testament and the Old Testament. That prophets are given the Spirit in measure. And the Spirit even goes from one prophet to another. We see this, for example, in the case of Elisha, Elijah and Elisha. But Jesus had the Spirit without measure. The Spirit was upon Jesus and His ministry fully and completely. Now, why does John tell us this? I think he wants to point us back to the Trinity, to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he's saying that Jesus is much more than a teacher, much more than a prophet. He's God Himself. He has the Spirit without measure. Because he has always had the Spirit. He has lived from before eternity and time began with the Spirit. In perfect harmony. And the Spirit attends his earthly ministry as the Messiah without measure. More than any had ever or would ever see. Jesus comes to us as the one who has dwelt from all eternity with the Father and the Spirit. There is nothing that he lacks. Because he is God himself. And then there's another credential that John tacks on. He says, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. He has given Jesus a commission. Jesus is specially and particularly loved by the father. We see this in his baptism. When the Father's voice comes out, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. 
We see it again on the Mount of Transfiguration when he says, This is my son, listen to him. And so the Father has given all things into Jesus' hands. Jesus has a commission. And that commission that Jesus has precedes the great commission we have. If you remember the great commission at the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, you need to go up a verse to verse 18, where Jesus declares, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Because I have all authority, go. Everything has been given into my hand. So will you listen to Jesus? God couldn't have made it clearer. Jesus has the words of God. Jesus has the Spirit without measure. Jesus is loved by the Father. And the Father has given him all things. There is no other place to turn to. No one else to listen to. Jesus is God's definitive declaration to you. Now that brings us to our second point. It's far briefer, but it's critically important. There is a reason why God sent Jesus to us. There is a reason why we must listen to Jesus. And that is because we are faced with a decision. We have to consider the consequences of listening to Jesus or not. John 3, 36 is one of the most forgotten verses in all of the Bible. Or at least the second half of it. Everyone lives as if this doesn't exist in the Bible. So many people want to think vaguely about God. They want to assume that God is like them. That God wants what they want. That God will be there for them on their own terms. But that's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God of reality. Do you remember when we said that if you reject the testimony of Jesus, you're calling God a liar? Well, what is the consequence of calling God a liar? It's to show that you're an enemy of God. Now, let me be clear here. That doesn't make you an enemy of God. It shows that you already are an enemy of God. And that's why John says, Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now, this word, obey, can be translated again in several ways. And I think John wants us to see all aspects of it. It does clearly mean obey. And so, if we do not obey the command of the Son to repent and believe, the wrath of God abides on us. But this word could also be translated, disbelieve. Or fail to believe. So if you refuse to believe the Son, if you reject the Son, then the wrath of God abides on you. Wrath remains upon you. Now, this is important. John doesn't say, you will get the wrath of God. He says it remains on you. What you need to understand is that your default position in life is one of being under the wrath of God. It's not a matter of whether your good outweighs your bad. And we're trying to come up with some kind of ratio. God's wrath is already on and continues on everyone. There's that word, whoever, does not believe the Son. Now, we like the word whoever in John 3.16, don't we? Whoever believes upon Jesus 
will be saved. It's the same whoever here. Whoever does not obey the Son, whoever does not believe the Son, whoever does not have faith in the Son, the wrath of God remains on him. It's just as true here as it is in John 3.16. If you have not believed the Son, if you are not obeying the Son, you are not in a good place. And it doesn't matter who your parents are or how often you go to church or how much money that you have given away. The only thing that matters is whether you believe the Son. And that is where the good news of the gospel comes in. The wrath of God may remain on those who do not believe, but whoever, there's that word again, in verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Now, there's only two options, to reject Christ or to receive Him by faith, to believe in Him. And that's what's at stake here, John is telling us. The stakes are high. That's why God sent Jesus. God knows that the only way that we can escape His wrath, which is justly deserved for our sins, is to believe in Jesus. And do you see what happens when you believe in Jesus? You have eternal life. It's a present tense again. It's not a future tense. It doesn't mean you will or you might. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you possess eternal life. All you have to do to receive Jesus' work is to believe. But the only way that you can receive Jesus' work is to believe. Well, what does it mean then to believe? For some of us, it simply means to know something, to have knowledge of something. But when the Bible speaks of faith, it's much more than that. To simply know a fact doesn't need to affect your life. I could tell you exactly how tall the Eiffel Tower is in Paris, and after I told you, you would never think about it again, and it wouldn't affect anything that you do. There's also a sense in which we can give assent to the truth. That's a second aspect of believing, to admit that something is true. This goes beyond bare knowledge. But that's not enough either. Let me give you an example. I can assent to the truth that if I diet, I will lose weight. But that's not enough. Why? Well, because my hand's stuck in a box of donuts. And so just knowing it and knowing it's true doesn't affect me. Just giving assent to its truth doesn't affect me. That's not enough. So there's a third aspect to biblical faith, and that is trust. There's a wonderful example of that that you've probably heard before, but it's worth repeating. Someone comes up to a, a bridge over a canyon, and their guide tells them that this bridge will support the weight of someone who weighs 300 pounds or less. Now, you can say... I believe you. That looks like it does. But there ain't no way I'm getting out on that bridge. Right? The only way that it matters is if you say, that is true. I know that it's true. It's true for me. And I'm going to put my life on the line for that. I'm going to walk out on the bridge. That's what biblical faith is. 
To believe on Jesus is not just to know who he is or know some facts about him or to think he was a good teacher or to even know that others have followed him. To believe on Jesus is to trust him and forsake everything else. All of my works, all of my knowledge, all of my skill, all of my relationships, and to say the only reason that I would have eternal life is because Jesus purchased it on the cross through his death. And by grace, he has given it to me by faith. That's the only way. So the question now comes to you. Will you believe in Jesus? When you hear the words of Jesus, the words of God that he brings from heaven, down to you here on earth, will you receive them? Jesus testifies to God and his testimony is true. He tells you today that the wrath of God remains on everyone who does not believe in the Son, but that whoever believes has eternal life. This is the gospel. This is your hope. Jesus has brought life and light to you. Believe him now. Let's pray.